What is going on, everybody? Hopefully, you guys are all doing fairly well out there. Um, got a weekend edition of the Sports Card Show podcast, and you really have your fellow listeners to thank or not thank. I guess if you don't like this show, you want to not thank them. But if you do enjoy the show, which you probably do since you have it on, um, you have your listeners to thank because otherwise I probably wouldn't be here. I got several uh, questions from two or three three different individuals, um, two that are on topic and one that's kind of an off-topic question that we'll save for the last. And Because I, I only really have one topic that I uh, kind of uh, – saw myself this this last week um we're going to talk about the cal ripken jr leaf iron man set and uh kind of basically what i think about those kind of sets there was a similar one put out by leaf um with pete rose i'll talk about that um talk about tops debt according to bloomberg terminal data uh, you, I don't think you could say Tops is in a terminal uh, situation uh, in terms of their debt level, but it might surprise some people. Uh, then we've got uh, some interesting questions um, that I'll I'll save the details on those, but they have to do with uh, kind of buying and selling and and kind of philosophies of buying and selling. And finally. I had a question from somebody wondering how to become a successful webmaster, somebody that wants to make money um, you know, on websites and stuff like that. And I have some ex- – I wouldn't say extensive. Well, maybe it is extensive at this point. But I have um, a lot of thoughts on that that might uh, – that are certainly not out there kind of published. You know, typically if you're making money on a website – you um you do everything you can to not say anything about it because it it ends up being relatively easy uh once you know what you're doing but uh, i'm not going to give you any specific uh ideas or give you the key to the castle so to speak but i'll certainly give you some of my ideas that will help you down the road if you ever want to sit around all day like i do and uh, watch football and college football. And that's really what I've been doing. Thank God for college football. I'm really excited that I've got, and I might get into this more in the webmaster segment, but I've really fallen in love with college football uh, for many reasons. Um, one is if you don't have the league pass, even if you have the league pass or the Sunday ticket for the NFL, most of the games are on at 10 in the morning or in my time. So one o'clock for you guys on the East Coast. You know, 80% of the games are then. So unless you have four TVs and you're flipping around, you know, you still can't watch that many games with the Sunday ticket. Whereas with college football, like if one game is bad, then you can just flip it to the next one. You know, I have often have three or four games going on. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch uh, tonight's action. Uh, there's always Thursday and Friday night college football, and I've I've seemed to really fall in love. There's just a more of a breadth of of – of teams and players, obviously, and and if you kind of don't have one particular team that you root for, you uh, your endless possibilities uh, for college football. So I've been doing that among other things. But let's move right on into our topics. Cal Ripken Jr. Leaf Ironman said, I, I believe my brother tweeted out a while back that he had signed two thousand some. I think it was two thousand some autographs. Might be more. Might be less. Um, but. Very similar set to what happened to Pete Rose. Pete Rose came out of the set. I think they, they, they were offered at retail, I think, for $20 a box, and you were guaranteed a Pete Rose autograph. I don't know the pricing. I probably should have done a little more research on this, but I think he was asking more or less my um, – not necessarily to go in-depth on the set and talk about the cards and stuff, but 
really what I thought about this. And really, I think it's honestly, it's a lose situation for everybody, for Cal Ripken, for Leaf, for uh, collectors, for existing collectors of Cal Ripken, for futures collectors of Cal Ripken. Really, the only person that wins is if you were looking to get a Cal Ripken Jr. autograph more at a bargain price than they were before this set came out. Uh, not that, you know, a couple thousand autographs is totally going to dilute the market. Um, but it's it, what I per, what I would prefer Leaf doing instead of coming out with this set with all Cal Ripken Jr. autographs in it. And that's really the only chase you're getting. Maybe come out with a set where what I would have maybe done. I don't know if Cal Ripken would agree to this or Pete Rose would agree to it or if you could get four or five other guys on board. But I remember back in the day, um, I don't think Tops employs this strategy anymore, but I believe one of the strategies, I can't remember if it was Bowman Sterling or Top Sterling or one of those, but uh, inside was a box that was themed for a certain player. So you'd open the box and I think there was kind of a foo-foo pack on top, but then you either got a box of, it either had Cal Ripken on the front or... um you know, Mickey Mantle, or it had somebody on the on the front, and you got one of, say, eight players or nine players, and so there was this theme set. I would have rather Leaf kind of go to that route. So you get Pete Rose, you get Cal Ripken, maybe you get a guy like uh, Andre Dawson or Ryan Sandberg and, and Will Clark or, you know, some of these retired baseball players, and you put together a set where it's like, okay... You can buy this set and you're guaranteed one autograph of either Cal Ripken, Pete Rose, or, you know, four or five other, you know, semi, you know, Hall of Famer or or verging on Hall of Famer type player. I think that is more in the spirit of cards. You know what I mean? If I just, if I want a Cal Ripken Jr. autograph, what's really the big excitement to opening up one of these Iron Man boxes and it's, okay, I know I'm going to get a Cal Ripken autograph. You know, yeah, maybe there's some that are numbered less than the others, but really it's all about the same thing. So they, they, Leaf kind of removes the mystery from it. And I think that hurts them as a brand. I think collectors that existing collectors, holders of Cal Ripken Jr. autographs, ones that the people that had it, you might see a, um, a tangible, devaluing of his autograph, especially if he keeps doing this, especially if Cal says, oh, this was a great idea. Uh, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, I I don't know what Cal, uh, other than money, I'm guessing Cal Ripken Jr., not that he necessarily needed the money, but maybe, you know, 2,000 autographs. I don't know what he gets for that. Maybe he gets $20,000. I don't know. Maybe not that much. Maybe, maybe less, maybe more. But my guess is he, he does this to, you know, maybe he has a kid going to college or something and he, he, you know, they can't apply for financial aid. So this is his way. I, I don't know. Can't imagine he needed the money so bad. And, and, and maybe these guys aren't, aren't given the proper notice to what's going to happen with these signatures that they're all going to be put into this set. It's going to be sold for this given price. And chances are it's going to end up like the Pete Rose, which I think you can get for, I don't know what you can get that for a box, but you can get it incredibly cheaply. And not that Pete Rose hasn't already kind of signed everything he possibly could, but I kind of put him and and Cal Ripken Jr. obviously in two separate lights. So I'm not exactly sure why why Cal Ripken did this, and and certainly if I was a collector of his, I'd be dis I'd be more disappointed than excited about this set. 
because yeah, I could go get some of his cards and, and yeah, my might they might be a little bit more affordable than a tops issue or, or some of his other issues or previous upper deck issues or whatever. But it just it just kind of devalues the whole thing. And so I don't like these Iron Man sets. I didn't like the Iron Man set. I didn't like the Pete Rose set. I think Leaf should be a little bit more creative here. It's not very complicated. We all could, you know, we could go pay Todd Gurley $8 a signature. We could go pay whoever we wanted, everybody outside of like a Derek Jeter or a LeBron James. We could go get them to sign. And we could put out a set and put some photos out in in some packs and whatnot. But there's not much else to chase after that. So it kind of just totally goes against the whole sports card thing. Now, if, if Leaf was selling these as single cards or had them on his eBay store or were kind of a wrapper redemption where, okay, you buy our Leaf whatever product and if you buy enough of it and send the wrappers in or whatever, we'll give you your guarantee to Cal Ripken autograph, that would be a more creative way to do it. But instead, it just it just seems lazy to just jumble it all in and say, here, here's a Cal Ripken. No mystery at all. You're going to buy this box and you're going to get a Cal Ripken autograph and that's it. You might get one that's parallel, might get one that's in red ink or whatever, but that's it. So in my in my sense, it kind of eliminates the fun, you know. If I want Cal Ripken Jr.'s autograph, he tours the country. He does autograph shows and, you know, you can probably find him wherever you want. And that would be more exciting to me. At least I get to see him face to face. At least I get to see the guy. So I hope it doesn't, you know, I don't think his autographs will be depressed to the to the point where, you know, they're at Pete Rose levels. But, you know, hopefully athletes in the future get a little bit more sophisticated about this and, and say, well, you know, I'm going to sign all these cards and it's going to devalue, essentially devalue my brand, devalue my signature. And for Leaf, I'd like to see them be a little more creative on this stuff, especially with someone like Cal Ripken. Pete Rose, again, different guy, different circumstances. He's a guy that just will sign, you know, will come over and sign your toilet seat if you gave him 10 bucks. So, um, and a suite and, you know, maybe some chips to gamble with. But uh, Cal Ripken, you know, I think he could do better than this. So I'm not a fan of the Iron Man set. I hope that Leaf can be more creative with how they package these kind of things in the future. Moving on, we'll we'll go to my topic and then we'll go back to listener questions. So thanks. Uh, that was a Twitter Twitter follower. So I appreciate that. You can send me suggestions at sportscardradio or sportscardshow at gmail.com. And I will, um, it encourages me to do these shows more often. Since I'm strictly watching college football right now. And the NBA is starting soon. We'll do an NBA preview. It's only the 10th, I think, right now. So we'll do an NBA preview. That'll be um, maybe my next show. Tops has $205 million in total debt. And I don't know if everybody realized that. This is a company that went private with no debt. And actually had over $80 million in cash. Now, let's back up the truck a little bit. Obviously, this money is not all to, has not all been accumulated by the company. Probably the majority or almost maybe even all of this debt was used to buy the company. So it's it's not like 
tops went private with you know 80 million dollars in cash and and well the better example is when they went when madison dearborn partners bought 75 percent and michael eisner's group bought the other 25 percent in 2007 they didn't write a check for 400 million dollars almost nobody um does that back in those they financed it and they've been running the company on you know leverage since then but what you could argue is, is Tops even worth $200 million? And maybe this is one of the reasons why they're um, having more than likely difficulty finding a buyer. I actually got this data out of an article that was written on a deal website. And I, this is pure speculation on my part, but from all I've seen in business and stuff like that, and you know, I follow business every day, you know, the stock market is... Don't buy in right now. You might see that it's 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 falling down. Luckily, I sold a few weeks ago. Um, I, there were signals to sell out of, you know, I haven't sold everything. I still have some individual stocks. I still hold Apple. I still hold this company called XBO. I still hold this company called uh, Limited Brands, which is, or L Brands, I think now is what it's called. That's actually Victoria's Secret and um, Bed, Bath and Body Works or whatever their other brand is. But those aren't recommendations. Uh, to go out and buy those stocks. I still hold those, but I sold all my index funds. I had a lot of, I mean, that's the cheapest way to get involved in the market. And I don't need to, you know, pay anybody any money to be involved in the market when you can buy an index fund for 0.04% expense ratio, essentially. So I've sold all those. Essentially, you know, I have a little tiny stake in, in some of them just to kind of keep, keep the mutual fund open. But, um, there were signals to sell a couple weeks ago, you know, all time highs. It's good to sell when everybody's buying and it's hot. That's when you sell when everybody wants to sell and get out and it's a bad, that's when you want to buy. So if you've been out of this market for four or five years and, and watched it go up and up and up and watched, you know, people go from broke, the broke house to the, to the rich house, you know, now's not the time to get in, but kind of watch it for a little while. You might, you might find a better entry point here in a couple months, but it's been interesting. But anyways, from following that, when companies want to sell themselves and they're not, you know, it, you, you know, tops can't just, you know, start a Facebook ad campaign or or do some Google AdWords or, or you know, put an ad in a newspaper and say we're for sale and, and watch the buyers coming in. You have to do it, especially when there are no buyers or there's likely only a few buyers at a fire sale. Uh, you have to be a little more creative than that. So what I think they actually did was was commissioned or kind of suggested to an author to write a story about how they've got some mobile apps and you know it's part of the exit strategy to build this up and blah blah blah. Maybe they can get a, a tech one of these tech valuations because they have a few mobile apps and their digital cards or whatever. So this company is absolutely for sale. The only problem is they have $205 million in debt, $175 million of that being a term loan, which is, you know, more or less like, you know, a car loan or, or like your home or whatever, you know, or mortgage or whatever. And $40 million of that is due in October 2015. So you better believe this time next year. The top tops is going to try to push. You'll like be like, why is tops doing that? That's a straight money grab. Why is tops unloading this? It's to raise $40 million because believe me, 
from every I don't know the sales um, exactly from the baseball unit, but from my rough calculations, sales of just baseball cards is is likely not much higher than two hundred million dollars, and that's sales. Remember, they don't make you know their margins aren't a hundred percent or fifty percent or probably even twenty percent on that. So you can imagine how much Tops needs to sell to actually have forty million dollars just sitting in the bank, not you know to be able to give to lenders. Not to mention all the interest that they pay on these loans. Trust me, they they're not down in the the one percent, two percent. They're more in the six, seven, eight percent range with this debt. And you can do it on your calculator: point oh six times two hundred million dollars, and you can see that they're paying a heck of a lot of money every year just for this money, just to borrow this money. And again, it was it was used to borrow the company. Essentially, their strategy is to borrow this money or borrow part of it when they buy the company. And then, you know, six, seven years later, they hope to sell it for more than what's on the books and debt. And so they can pay off the debt and then keep the extra. So say they sold the company for $400 million, they'd be able to pay $200 million to the bank and keep $200 million for shareholders. But no way is that going to happen? Tops didn't even sell for $400 million seven years ago. And I think it, does, it doesn't take anybody out there, whether they have mobile apps or whatever. Chances are those mobile apps cost the company money. And there's a tremendous amount of investment involved in those. So we'll see what happens here. But it should give you an insight into these companies and that they don't make very much money. In fact, they're in over their eyeballs and debt. And if somebody were to buy this company, uh, chances are they would just have to pay off the debt and maybe a little extra. Maybe you have to pay a little extra for the brand. And I know they got ring pops and I know they got, you know, some other stuff that they do, some digital stuff, some gift cards or whatever. But we're not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars here. That should also give a lot of you guys out there, if you want to get in this business, if Tops has to run their business on a loan for the last seven years and the business has gone down, 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 that should give you an idea. And I guarantee you people have looked into buying this company. Trust me, when something's for sale, guys look at it. If guys can make a dollar, they'll look at it. But they probably look at the debt on the balance sheet and is like, well, I could just wait until next year, October 2015, when Tops needs to have $40 million all of a sudden, which I doubt they have right now. Not in cash, just sitting around ready to go. They might have $40 million, but they need to pay Yasiel Puig for some signatures. They need to build this next set. They need to play these employees. They need to pay for their Manhattan offices. They need to pay back shareholders. They need to pay back interest on this loan. You know, there's et cetera, et cetera. They need to pay for a new update on the app. They need to pay for a new license, or they need to not pay for a new license. Maybe this is also will suggest to you guys why they got kicked to the curb in football for nothing, basically. Panini like locked up a 10-year deal for for less than what the two companies were already paying for it. And also, part of the uh, application and kind of the renewal process of these licenses is you have to turn over your books. And so one could assume maybe the NFLPA looked at the books of Tops and said, wow, they have $200 million in debt. They have $40 million of it due next year. They don't really have much money. 
They barely had $200 million worth of sales for baseball. Not concerning Tops isn't going to go... I won't say they're not going to go bankrupt. I've always... I think I've thrown that out on a previous show that that... This is real. This is like a 1% chance happening, but an exit strategy could be bankruptcy. Maybe come next year, they don't have $40 million or the owners of Madison Dearborn Partner doesn't feel like paying it. So what do you do? It's, it's like buying a house. They bought this company in 2007. It's just like buying a house in 2007. You overpaid. So now your house is worth, you know, seven years later, your house is worth, you know, $200,000, but your loan is for $350,000. Your mortgage is for $350,000. Or maybe you've paid off some principal and, and now, uh, you know, my house is worth 250 but I still have a, you know, I still have a loan out there for the bank for 300 So I'm still underwater or I'm break even. Trust me, these guys don't buy this stuff to break even or make a little bit of money. They didn't spend $400 million to make a little bit of money. They made it to make a couple hundred million dollars and not happening. And uh, the fact that there's articles out there that are very, very vague. They say, oh, EA Sports might buy them. That's a bunch of BS. Basically, the author is just throwing out stuff. Saying, oh, this company could buy it. No way EA Sports would buy it. Why would would EA Sports want it? Makes more sense for a a company like Konami, who I think already has the rights either to Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon. Makes sense for somebody like that. Makes sense for somebody like... um, Fan Addicts, which was a which is a private company, they bought a public company called Fans Edge, which which they were in the competing parallel businesses, um, and now they've moved into shows. I don't think they're as successful as they maybe thought they were going to be, but they're into memorabilia shows. Somebody that does a memorabilia show, um, I could see doing that, but. Um, Everybody else, the only other company that has the money to really buy tops is Panini. Everybody else, Upper Deck, doesn't have the money. Leaf, oh my God, the guy said, the guy admits himself, I think he had like, I think it was like $16 million in sales. Trust me, somebody with $16 million in sales cannot borrow $200 million. No chance. And I don't really think Panini's interested in, in buying tops. I think they would have already at least at the current moment i think they realize the people there they're trying to sell their own business so i don't think they're they're interested in making a a large acquisition like that so we'll see what happens should be an interesting uh year going forward uh hopefully they don't struggle. If Tops struggles and they do have to, um, you know, do some kind of bankruptcy, I don't see that. Ha- I don't see that happening. I'll say that. But if it does, be very concerned. If you're a collector with outstanding redemptions, because trust me, you're going to get nothing, absolutely nothing. If Tops has promised you anything, and they go bankrupt, you're getting absolutely nothing. Period. Unless some white knight comes in and for some reason overpays for the company and says, oh yeah, we're not only going to pay our creditors back, but we're going to you know, take care of all the collectors. And nobody is going to do that. Nobody has that kind of money. Nobody wants to do that. There would be no need to do that.
Moving on, last set of questions here from our listener. This is a really good question, and I don't know if I really have an answer for it. Um, but he asked, has age, race, or gender affected your ability to collect? And I will say that myself being, you know, a white individual, a white male, has probably, well, certainly experienced any kind of uh, discrimination less than my friends, certainly friends that I have and people of, of color and people of other genders and, and races. So I think age is one thing. When you're a little kid, people think that you don't know anything or that you're not a serious collector or, you know, you, you don't care about what you get. And, and I've, I actually find that totally the opposite. The kids tend to be the most passionate. They tend to do a lot of research. They tend to know these cards better than the companies and better than, you know, card shop owners and people like me. I've met many, especially teenagers, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth graders that are far more advanced in the art of collecting and knowing about the products and knowing the finer details about that. And I think people underestimate them. And I think as a collector base as a whole, we need to encourage everybody to collect, especially women. I think this hobby would, would do much better if women could be more, would be more involved and be more, um, have more products cater to them or have more attention paid to them or have marketing pushed at them to get them into collecting. Because these are cards with photos of men on them. So, I mean, not to sound sexist, but as a woman, it might be kind of interesting. And women tend to be very loyal shoppers. They tend to be very, um, they tend to be the decision makers in the household. Despite what men think, there's plenty of research and studies out there. There's more women getting college degrees. There's more women in the workforce. And if, you know, the corporate structures were different, there'd be more women higher up making a lot more money than men do. And I'd argue that as an employer occasionally and somebody that's out there in the workforce seeing this kind of stuff, women tend to be some of the better employees. So hopefully the hobby in general can stop, you know, we really have kind of this one end, especially the hot, and now that cards are really kind of this high end thing, you're really targeting men that have disposable income. And that number is getting less and less and less. Like I said, there's more women going to college that are in college and they're getting college degrees now. And over time, not in, you know, half a generation, but as time goes on, women will gradually take over the workforce and take over the more important positions. And one day we'll have a woman president and all that stuff. Best ways to barter at like a convention or a show. And I've, um, I have some philosophy. I think the best way to barter is if you watch those pawn show, pawn star shows, the guy, the like the Rick Harrison guy and the Chumley, he's on the one end. They always try to get you to make the first offer. And I actually think you you always want to try to get the 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 other guy, the guy selling the card. You I'd rather him make the offer first. 
And so you can kind of see where he's at. If they if they don't have a price on it, if there's a price on the card already that he's already basically displayed his offer and it's on you. The one thing I will say is bundling. I think there's another show, uh, American Pickers, I think, where there's the one guy on the show that likes to bundle. And there that is that is a very good way to do it. If you see one card in the booth that you like and you know, maybe get a sense of where the dealer's at. Maybe he has another box that looks like he wants to try to get rid of it. Maybe it's stuff on sale. Well, see if you can't find 10 cards out of there and then say, well, I'm going to get these, you know, this hundred dollar Emmett Smith card you have, you know, would you take, you know, for, for all of it, let's, let's do a hundred or for all of it, let's do 65. That bundling, I think is, is your best way to go because, um, the dealer just sees it as a way to move more inventory and and bring in a little bit more cash at the same time. And oftentimes sit, you know, as a dealer, stuff sits, especially single cards, it sits for a while. And so if you're able to find some cards that he's been sitting on for a long time, he might not even value those cards very much. So you can kind of bundle those in and get them almost as a, a as an add-on or a tack-on and you can get the cards you really want. And so that's really my my best way to barter. I think it's all about practice too. And it all depends on where you're at. If you're in Dallas, Texas and you're trying to barter on an Emmett Smith card, eh, you know, it might it might not go so well. But if you're in you know, Nebraska, or in out here in California, where we don't really like the 49ers, Southern California, they really everybody likes the Cowboys everywhere. Um, they even hold training camp down in Southern California. But you know, maybe in 49er territory or New York Giant territory, oh, that Emmett Smith is going to be a heck of a lot easier to barter for. And so I, you know, where you're where you're at geography wise, um, and always stick to your price. As we've seen, the next question actually relates to this. Five weeks ago, collecting Adrian Peterson, pulling one out of a pack was cool, was great. You felt great. Now you get an Adrian Peterson? I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't even know if he's ever going to play again. He might not even make the Hall of Fame now, which it seemed like that was a lock. So stuff happens quickly. So if, if somebody, if you're bartering and you want to pay 70 and he wants you to pay 90, forget about it. That card's, that card's going to be there. You're going to be able to find that card at some other time, some other place. Should we collect Hall of Fame with all the current stuff going on in the NFL? Like, you know, like Ray Rice and, and Adrian Peterson and all these guys. Um, where is the investment more safe? And I, I've always said this. If you, if you look at this as an investment and you want it to be safe, Go for the Hall of Fame play, and not even necessarily Hall of Fame players, because there's plenty of common cards in the '60s and and before, and 70s and before that are a no-name guy. But if you have it in good condition, or if you have the whole set, or if it's centered up, or whatever, it's worth money. Some of it's worth a lot of money. Doesn't matter who the guy is; could have barely played in the in the MLB or the NFL. Condition is more more you know more about it than the player. Always go for the, I, I, you know, they don't necessarily have to be dead, but in my opinion, that helps because he can't do anything stupid. You know, we've seen even guys after they retire, OJ Simpson's probably the, the, the greatest example of them all long retired in the hall of fame was in movies and TV shows and was doing all this stuff. And then what did he do? I mean, he was not convicted, but we all know what happened. 
So I prefer if you want ultra safe investment, it's the no name guy or the dead guy from 70s and before, especially in baseball. Or it is the Hall of Fame guy, the, you know, I mean, even more recently, guys like Joe Montana or Troy Aikman or previously mentioned Emmett Smith, guys that, you know, are done and you knock on wood, hope they don't pull an OJ or some, something similar to that. But if you want it to be ultra safe, the Mickey Mantles, the Ty Cobbs, the, well, Willie Mays isn't dead yet, but, you know, at some point you get to an age where you probably can't even pull off an OJ. But that is ultra safe back then. You're gambling with this new stuff. And, and it's the reason why I haven't bought any new sports card outside of what I've gotten for free. And, and I get off, check out my cards to kind of turn and burn. I, I have bought like an Andy Dalton card that was autographed. I bought an AJ Green autograph card. I think I got a really good price on it. I bought his contenders autograph. Well, he's hurt now. So maybe I could get it for cheap. I think I got his contenders autograph for 30. It's on card. It's nice. It's his rookie. Um, I think I got a good price on that. If he has a good career, it's, you know, a $60, $70 card. But, you know, that's it. That That's it. I don't buy unopened boxes. Never would I, you know, I have not bought an unopened box outside of like for a giveaway or for some reason. I have not bought in a box of cards to open and, and hope to see what I get. You're, you might as well just throw away your money. I occasionally, I haven't done a group break in, in over probably a year or more. But I'll, you know, if it's a couple bucks or if it's on sale or if it's basketball, I might get into basketball a little bit this year. I might do a group, more or less group breaks probably. If there's a cheap team with a good rookie or a guy I like, I might try it. But I'm certainly not going to, it's not something I'm going to do every week or every day. You're literally just throwing your money away. And you can do that if you make money and if, you know, if you have money or whatever, you're not, you, some people, it's, you don't even have to care about money. That That's okay too. I've certainly cared about money more, less and less and less and less as the years gone on. I've cared less and less about money. And I, you know, not that I could care less, but when you, when you're broke and you don't have any, you know, you certainly care about it a lot. But as time goes on, you learn, ah, it comes and goes. Money comes and goes. So maybe I shouldn't worry about un- buying open, un- unopened boxes or kind of wasting my money on that. But I still see it as, you know, I could buy this box for 100 or I could buy a share of Apple. You know what I mean? Or I could buy, you know, uh, you know, five, even some of this $500 stuff. That's, a, that's, a, that's an investment for me. That's something I can turn into to a lot of money over, you know, not even a very long period of time. Or it's, you know, instead of comparing it to that, it's a night out or it's a really nice meal or it's a, you know, steak dinner. It's a gift for Christmas for somebody else. So it might sound odd. I mean, I'm here doing a sports card show, but I I really don't buy any of this new stuff to kind of open it up and hope I get something good. So if you're out there looking, if you're getting in this hobby and you want it to be an investment and you want it to be, you know, uh, you want to see a return, you want to have, you know, liquidity when you need to sell or, or you want to sell, focus on the retired players, the players that are dead, the old stuff, because this new stuff just goes down and down and down. doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, there's blips in the radar. 
you have guys that get hot and there's guys that do really well and there's but I think I've said this on the show before. The only athlete that really comes off the top of my head, a modern day athlete that really comes off the top of my head that really, you know, yeah, he had some off the field stuff and yeah, he didn't do things perfectly, but Michael Jordan is almost untouchable. I mean, part of that might have to do with his relationship with Nike and the brand he's built there, which is worth, you know, tremendous amount of money. But he's really the only guy. Yeah, maybe you could throw Cal Ripken in there. Maybe you can throw some other guys in there. But look at Tiger Woods. Look at uh, Brett Favre. Look at OJ. Look at all these guys that are what's going on now in the NFL. And as we go forward, the information just it becomes harder and harder to hide this stuff. I think back in the day, you know, when there was just newspaper and, and six o'clock news, it was easier to kind of sweep this stuff under the rug. And I think there's even been some whispers of that in the NFL that they used to just kind of sweep this stuff under the rug and, and no one cared about it. And now it's harder with Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff, 24-hour, 24-7 news. It's harder to sweep this stuff on the rug. And certainly in the NFL, you're going to see more and more guys get in trouble for the mere fact that the kids that play football from now and into the future, a, a large segment of them are going to be people that their parents didn't give a crap about them. And I mean that in the, the most due respect. I feel sorry for people that are in that situation. But am I going to, after seeing all these head injuries and Junior Seau shooting himself and all this stuff, you know, am I going to, am I going to let my kid play football? Nah, I'd rather him throw a baseball. I'd rather him play soccer. I'd rather him play basketball. I'd rather him play golf. So you're going to see more and more of this troubled NFL, certainly. And you got to be careful out there as collectors. It affects you. It affects the products. AP was a was a huge hit in a product. Now that's not, I mean, yeah, his stuff is still worth something, but it's been devalued tremendously. So now, well, you know, imagine how Panini feels. It's like, oh, crap, you know, we could, we used to be able to do Peterson as a case hit. Now it's like, we can't even put Peterson in the product. Lastly, you could tune out if you don't care about websites and building them and making them marginally successful, I guess. Um, Last question I had was, they wanted to know what it took to be like a successful webmaster and how you can make that your job. And, um, um, you know, first of all, there's, it, it, it's likely it can happen overnight. You can set up a website and you can have an idea and kind of put it out there and it, it you know, it, it kind of explode or, or whatever. You could buy ads to it and explode it really quick or it could, you know, get it, be, it could be just a really nice website, really well executed and it could be, you know, kind of shared around the web or sourced around the web and you could, you know, make a lot of money. But to sustain that year after year, month after month, I believe takes a tremendous amount of discipline and takes a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, discipline's probably the best word. I would say, you know, three or four years ago, Sports Card Radio was my number one site in terms of traffic and the amount of money it made. And I remember consciously making an effort 
several years ago being like, I don't want that to be the case. First of all, it's a tremendous amount of work spending hours a day on that website. And I don't regret it. But over time, you have to say, well, what, you know, what happens when this changes? I think you, as a webmaster, you always have to be looking for your next idea and you have to be willing to move on. And you have to be willing to sacrifice some things. Say, hey, Sports Card Radio is making money and it's, you know, I've got all these visitors and it's great. But is it sustainable four or five years down the line when Tops doesn't make any money, when the, you know, all these athletes are doing stupid stuff or when, you know, there's, you know, you can get a checklist and, and find it from when I first started it, checklists weren't out there. The companies didn't even put it up. Now they're doing a better job at that. And that's good. Beckett's doing a little bit better job. They used to not put it up for weeks. Now they put it up, you know, pretty rapidly. And so I saw that all happening. I saw, eh, you know, it's, it's not going to be as good as it is now. Um, and certainly, I think I even had a podcast about this a while back, uh, months ago, where your advertisers will pay you less and less and less and less, especially if it's converting well. If you have a great converting ad on your website, it's going to make you less money and less money over time. Google doesn't make more money from its search engine. It, it just drives more traffic to it. And it builds things like Android to funnel you into it. And it, you know, mobile phones have helped it out. And they create new ads and new partnerships. And they have all these other businesses that make money now. If Google had just stuck with, you know, search and, and kind of display ads, they'd be Yahoo. And not that Yahoo's made horrible investments. They made a great one in Alibaba, but... You know, Yahoo's kind of been stuck with no growth and no, you know, I'd I'd love to be making the kind of money that company makes. But, uh, you know, in comparison, it's not that great. You know, at some point, your your revenue is slow. So in other words, what I'm saying is, is to be a successful webmaster, you have to continue to evolve. And don't rest on your laurels and think, oh, I've got a great website. I've got all this traffic and I'm making all this money and it's going to last forever because it's never going to last forever. It doesn't. And I, I, I can't tell you how many webmasters I know that were doing really well and had a, a good website and were making money. And then, oh, eBay cut how much they were paying or, oh, Google, you know, the Google clicks aren't worth as much or, oh, this advertiser doesn't advertise anymore or this pulled out or this doesn't work or, oh, I lost my rankings or this, that, and the other and they're looking for a job. And it's because they didn't diversify. They put all their eggs in one basket. And that's the key. If you want to be a successful webmaster, and I wouldn't say I'm necessarily successful or not successful. I've certainly have been successful, but I would say I've been successful in being disciplined. I build a website, I build it up, I make some money on it, and you have to keep moving. If you don't keep moving, I would be working right now. I'd have a job. And I don't want that, trust me. You don't set up a website and kick it for a couple years to then want to go work at Target. So you have to diversify. You have to keep moving. Now I would say sports car radio in terms of traffic and earnings is way down the list. It might not even be in the top five anymore for me. We're just a year, just two years ago. It was by far and away probably 90% of what I did. Obviously, I, I you know reinvested the money in things like stocks and other investments. 
And that's really what you have to do. You have to keep moving. You have to keep uh, evolving yourself. And the, the biggest mistake I see with webmasters is they have something that's successful and they think it's going to just keep going on and on and on and on and on. No matter what they do, whether they ignore it or they pour their heart into it, it slowly fades away. That's just what happens. So you have to be incredibly passionate about it as well. So those, those are my essentially my tips. If you have any questions or something, you can always send me an email. But um, I think my bullet points are, you, number one, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. If you set up a website on, on binder paper and you don't care about binder paper, chances are it's not going to be successful. But if you care about something stupid like TV antennas, if you just love TV antennas and it's what you love, and you set up a website on TV antennas, I guarantee you will be successful. It's another huge mistake I see a lot of webmasters make. They set up websites on diet niches and, and all this stuff that they don't know anything about just because it's hot. And they get crushed or they waste their time and waste their money and waste their energy. Much rather, you know, just like baseball cards. Baseball cards aren't that popular. Honestly, baseball cards aren't very popular. And in the grand scheme of things, sports card radio and kind of what we do here is not anything. It's not popular. It's not anything. It's more or less a passion of mine. And I think that's the most important thing. If you're going to take anything away from it, work at it as a passion. If you make a couple bucks and it pays a couple of your bills, great. And if it doesn't, who cares? At this point, really, sports card radio, you know, I, I could, you know, lose money on it. And I'd still keep it. I mean, this podcast is a great example. I lose time and money and energy all on this podcast, but I don't really care. It's certainly not enough money to, to hurt me. I mean, we're talking about a couple bucks, so it's, it's never going to hurt me. But, um, you know, you don't keep going if you're not passionate about it or you don't enjoy it. So those are my, that's my number, my number one tip is you got to enjoy it. You got to be passionate about the subject you're working on. And number two is diversify. Don't just put all you, if you want it to be a career and that's what you want to do, you want to sit around all day and work on websites and kind of that be your thing. Got to diversify. Got to, you know, you got to put all your passions out there. And you, you will find success. I started a website just this last year. This time last year, I started a website that talked about basically college football. Something that I wanted to get more passionate about. Something I wanted to get more in depth on. And now that website is getting certainly more visits than Sports Card Radio. And uh, I don't know if it makes as much money, but uh, it's on its way, I think, at some point. I don't really care about that. Um, particularly too much because again, I enjoy it, but you got to keep moving. You got to keep, uh, coming up with new ideas and, and, and trying new things. If you sit around and, and, and think that the checks are just going to keep rolling in, rolling in, rolling in, they will for a while. Certainly you could stretch it out for maybe a year, two years or a couple months or whatever it is. But if you want to sustain this and, and raise a family and, and never have to work again, uh, for somebody else. 
you have to um, keep moving, keep diversifying. So those are my key takeaways there. And that's really all I got for today's show. Again, uh, if you have any topics for today on, on the show, it could be on topic, could be off topic. I think at this point um, there's enough shows and there'll be enough of them in the future if we talk things about websites or we talk about stocks or we talk about um, – you know, anything, I don't really, you know, anything, race, gender, uh, crime in America, whatever it is, living in California, you know, vacations, fine dining, whatever it might be. Um, send me an email, sportscardshow at gmail.com, or you can send me a tweet at sportscardradio. And I've been tweeting less on my at sportscardradio account, but believe me, part of the, another reason why I've been, somewhat absent and somewhat silent in the sports card community is as that I've been battling absolutely battling with uh I guess you'd say shareholders and owners CEOs executives of companies recently one in particular and to pat myself on the back when I started the battle the stock was at a dollar 83 it was already a penny stock and already kind of maybe an easy target and at the today's close, let's bring it up here. It's at 77 cents. So we've lost well over um, 100% of the value there, or 50% of the value or so. Uh, so, yeah. So I can, I, and trust me, if it, it, there's this misconception that if you invest in the stock market or you invest your money and you do this, you're this smart guy and you know what you're doing. Trust me. People in the stock market are idiots. There's a lot of dumb investors that don't know what they're buying, that have no idea what they're talking about. And people think, oh, you're a CEO. You make three, you make three or four million dollars a year. Oh, you got to be smart. You got to know what you're doing. Nope. Oftentimes, those are the biggest crooks and the biggest criminals out there. And if there were stricter laws or you know, ways to call the police on those guys, they'd go to jail instantly. So instead, you hurt them where it hurts the most, in their wallet. And that's what I've been doing the last month or so. Um, kind of curtailed it a little bit because I think I've proved my point with the stock going from, you know, almost $2 down under to 70, 70 cents a share. And it should go a little further. If I, if I keep the pressure on, I probably can get it down into the, the 50 cent range if I feel like it. But I might, uh, you know, I might take my foot off the gas. We'll see. So I've been busy on Twitter, message boards, things of that nature. But, you know, my interest in that kind of wanes or, you know, there's only so far you can kind of destroy a company and destroy a, you know, a corrupt CEO's dreams and lifestyle, essentially his lifestyle. So you got to move on. So I might come back to the sports car world. And certainly with basketball starting here, oh my God, in like two weeks, I'm very excited. Two or three weeks here, we've got basketball. Maybe I won't have a lot of time because I'll be watching. I'll get be getting that leak pass and I'll be watching that all the time. We'll see what happens. But thank you for tuning in again. You can send suggestions for the show. That'll help uh, keep them more on topic, I guess, and keep them coming. Um, but until next time, I'm out of here for now. And I uh, hope you enjoy. We are out of here.